this point in our service, we uh, get to open up God's Word and hear what He has to say to us. And so if you would join me, we'll be in Luke 8, 22 through 25, and um, continuing the Miracles of Jesus series, that's page 111 in your blue Bibles there. Luke eight twenty two through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. One day, he, being Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Let us pray. God, we ask that you would help us with your word this morning, that your spirit would be involved to insert it down into the depths of our souls, into our hearts and our minds, that we would hear from you and be changed. God, you are an incredible God, creator God, that we have sung about and brought you praise. And so, God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear from you this morning. Uh, We're grateful that we have your word before us. You've given it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we were living in Michigan, I know some of you have lived in Michigan, uh, we were in West Michigan. And when we arrived, we were told of a weather dynamic there called Lake Effect Snow. Me, having never lived in Michigan, I kind of made fun of it when I got there. I think it's because we were heading into our first winter and we saw a few snowflakes. And I asked, was this Lake Effect Snow? And it wasn't a terrible snowstorm, and it melted and went away, and I was like, well, that wasn't so bad. But we were in a snow belt also, coming off of the lake, which I didn't quite understand either. Think snow globe. You know those snow globes? can shake up, and the snow sprinkles around and covers the whole globe. It pretty much meant that at any point in the winter, snow could come. And could stay for a week, two weeks, and you just learned how to drive on snow. Now, driving, though, on snow in the middle of the winter in Michigan, West Michigan, can be treacherous. Um, It takes extra braking time, and the key is to drive slower. Remember one time I was trying to slow down for our driveway, and it wasn't going to happen. So I just (laughs) took an extra turn around the block. Better than trying to get in there. 
But I also remember one trip I made from Chicago. We were visiting our in-laws and I was driving around the lake in late December. And there was a highway that went right along the lake. And if you were along that highway, along the lake, in the middle of the winter, when the lake effect snow started to come, it was very treacherous. It was hard to see. It was dangerous. And again, the key was speed. If you went too fast, it was like the kiss of death. There was just 40 miles an hour seemed to be the the limit. If you went above that, you were really, you know, risking your life. You were um, taking a risk. You'd see cars out on the medians, on the shoulders, had spun out. wasn't an unusual sight. And there was another highway. I remember someone telling us, saying the key is in the winter, there's a highway a little further from the lake. Take that one. So we learned to go a little bit farther out. And there was ever a time where I really felt like I was at the mercy of the natural elements of this world that tested my faith. It was along the lake, Lake Michigan, in the middle of the winter. And I found myself just praying that God would get me to the other end in the midst of it. Well, the disciples find themselves in a similar situation. Their faith is being tested challenged a little bit they're in a situation where it just it has to come forth so in our passage this morning we're going to look at two the two questions that are there that's going to be our focus where is your faith jesus asked them but then also the response who is this man so that's going to guide us this morning as we head in to the passage however before we get to those let's just take a quick look at this storm A windstorm came down on the lake. Now, this lake was subject to sudden storms in Galilee. It was situated some 700 feet below sea level and adjacent to a mountainous region. So when the storm would come down and the winds would come down, cold air from the heights would sweep down and whip up the seas in a short time and create a windstorm. It's kind of like the lake Michigan, the winds could just push whatever they wanted off that lake. Clouds, snow, lake effect, whatever. But the fishermen are panicking, right? So this storm must have been significant, large, sudden. These are seasoned fishermen. You wouldn't expect them to react in this manner, right? They see the storm coming, or maybe it comes suddenly. They should have been able to deal with it appropriately, Peter would have been saying, hey guys, here it comes. This is what we know what to do. We're filling with a little bit of water here. Let's respond. But the response is interesting. They panic. They're screaming. They're saying, we're going to perish. We're going to die. There's morbid predictions that just come into play here. Now, it could have been the suddenness of the storm really, that takes them off guard. And the passage in Matthew that recounts this incident, it does say, Matthew 8, that the storm comes suddenly. So it kind of befalls them. It hits them without warning. So you can imagine your greatest trial, or one of them in your life, coming without warning. Has that ever happened to you? You know, most of the time, because of our weathermen and women, we have some anticipation that a storm is coming. 
And we can go clean out the shelves in the supermarkets, right? And all the water and everything. Those nor'easters last March, they were something. We were not prepared for those. But sometimes life's storms hit without warning. It's a phone call, right? The phone rings. And it's, it's your mother or a loved one or, or your father on the other line. You can just tell in their voice. You know, sometimes my dad will ask me where I am, if I'm sitting down. You know, it's significant news. And it comes without warning. And this can happen to any of us. And maybe it's happened to you. When we were in Michigan, there was a ministry leader in town. She helped out with a kids program in the public schools there. She wasn't at our church, but I worked with her. She was driving home one day, a a route she took often, took a left into her development, did not see the motorcycle cyclist coming down the road. The motorcyclist laid down her motorcycle, trying to stop in time. And when she laid her motorcycle down, I don't know if any of you drive motorcycles, that's one way to stop very quickly, she, her, she did not make it. She died. So in a split second, this woman who was driving her car going home had her vehicle confiscated. She was in uh, court very soon after. She lost her license, and she faced possible jail time. Not to mention, I mean, you can imagine all the possible guilt that came because someone perished Because of her driving. In a split second, this trial came upon her. And it could come upon all of us. And too often, we are lulled into this false sense of security. That that things will just be fine. And that we will go about our lives. And the brokenness of this world will not touch us. And then along comes a crisis. And we're found grasping for something to hold on to. What if I were to tell you this crisis is coming in two weeks. Will that change your life? Would you do things differently? Would you go about your life differently? Would you seek God differently? It causes you to ask, what is sort of holding you in place? What is, what is sturdy in your life? I heard John Piper describe this as the ballast. He wanted to sink God's word into our lives as the ballast in a boat. It's something that is at the bottom of a boat or a vehicle to hold it in place, to hold it steady. Sometimes there's a ballast tank in a boat where the water moves in and out to balance the ship. And John Piper was saying, I'm going to open God's word and hopefully that will serve as a ballast for your life. And so the disciples are scrambling for that right now. They are just scrambling. The boat is filling up. Where do we turn? We need some help here. Things are not looking good. And they do the right thing. They turn to the right place for help. They turn to the sleeping Savior in their boat. But it's a good question to ask yourself. Where do you turn in your life when things start to go bad? Now, we're going to look at why Jesus asked this question of his disciples. You know, if we look at the passage, it's sandwiched in between Jesus working miracles around them. They're seeing Jesus perform these great works and teach these parables and do his 
his ministry here, what his father had called him to do. And so then we see Jesus take his disciples out on a lake to teach them something amidst all the other things that he's doing. And Jesus asks them, where are you placing your trust? And sometimes it takes a pressure situation for them to see that or to be able to respond appropriately to this question. I remember when I would run into these times, and they still come, but when I was younger and they came, I would panic. And one of my first reactions was to call my father. And I can still hear his voice over the phone. And in my panic, he would try to respond in a very calm tone and ask me, well, how is that working for you? And I'd say, well, it's not working well, Dad. That's why I'm calling you. And then his second question usually was, well, have you prayed about it? And when I was younger, I didn't like hearing that question. I'd say, yes, I've prayed about it, or maybe not enough, but I don't have an answer calling you for some wisdom. Well, in the disciples' panic, they fail to see the sovereign power. There is a sovereign power and care of their master resting not far away from them. By the way, why is he asleep? Okay, we'll get to that in just a minute. Why is Jesus sleeping? But their immediate thought is, we must fix this and we cannot do it. So let us wake this teacher up. Let's wake Jesus up and see what he has to say about it. But you know, their panic can also lead us to the gospel. Because in their panic, they're trying to do it themselves, right? They, they immediately think, we must take care of this. We need to get the water out. We need to get the storm out of here. We need to do something. And in our lives, we can run to the same place where we think things are not going the way we want them to, so let us fix it. Let us plan further ahead. Let us put better precautions in place. Let us try to do better in our lives, to be better people. And it's just not enough. At times, we're just incapable of fixing things. We just don't have the resources. And the gospel comes in and says, here are the resources that you need. Jesus says, here is my grace. It is sufficient for you. What I've done on the cross is enough for you and your life and death. That your sins are put upon me on the cross. And Jesus' scars and death on the cross heal you. They heal you and take care of you for eternity. But you must have faith. You must have faith in Jesus. You must have faith in his work in the gospel for that to work out for you. Otherwise, you're left to your own devices. So Jesus asks them, where is your faith? That's the first question. When he is awoken, he says, well, where is your faith? It's an interesting question. Why does he ask them that in the midst of this chaos? And it's intriguing to consider, too, what was Jesus' expectation from his disciples when he asked that question? What does he want to hear from them? You know, if we look through the gospel, we see that Jesus is pleased when he sees faith. When people respond in faith, he says, yes, that is the right response. When they respond in, with a lack of faithfulness 
Or when he sees a lack of faithfulness, Jesus is somewhat disheartened. Why is there no faith here? So he is asking this of them. I believe he is teaching them. He wants to show them that their faith matters and how they apply it in this situation matters. And so it's a good question to ask, where is your faith and where can faith be found? Where could these disciples have reached for their faith or where could they have gone to grow in their faith? And when we ask ourselves that, it's important to know where can faith be found? Because faith doesn't come always right away and directly in great amounts. Oftentimes, faith comes in incremental small steps as you develop and grow as a believer. So faith is found, if we look at where we can find faith, faith is found through hearing. The disciples are hearing Jesus' voice right then and there. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says that, how are they to believe in whom they've never heard? Those who have not heard God's word, how will they ever believe in it if they don't hear it? It goes on to say, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes through hearing God's word. That's one way in which faith is found. When the word goes out and is proclaimed to those who do not know it or have not heard it, faith can begin to be birthed and developed. But faith can also be found by seeing your need. The disciples had a huge need here. But you can also see your need by being a part of the church, by seeing others live out the gospel and seeing that you are a sinner in need of God's mercy and in need of humility and repentance. Faith can also be found through trials. Let us not miss that Jesus was the one that got them into the boat led them out across the lake, right? So Jesus led them into this situation. Now, we don't quite know why. It could be that he wanted to teach them about their faith. But it's important to understand, too, that in your trials, God is not taken by surprise. So your faith can be built up in the midst of your trials, knowing that God is with you and that God may have led you into that trial. Now, sometimes our own sin get us into the trials in our lives or the sin of others. We live in a broken world. But Jesus said, let's get in the boat. Let's try to go across the sea right now. Everything looks calm. And some of you have experienced some serious storms in your life. And perhaps they are still raging. I think it's important not to take this too lightly. But that storms do And can teach you to trust God. To weather the storm with him. And faith can be found in your trusting in God. Learning to learning that God will never leave you or forsake you. You know, I think Jesus in his sleep may be showing us that. That he has such confidence in his father. In the presence of his father that he can rest in the midst of A chaotic storm. Isaiah 43, 1 through 2 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. God does not break his promises, and he does not leave you. I believe Jesus shows us a good picture of this. He's sleeping in the midst of a devastating storm. Have you ever known anyone who can sleep in any circumstance? Anyone like that in this room? I envy you, I think. I had one missionary pastor who traveled the world to to train other pastors, and he told us this one story of he arrived at a hotel in Hong Kong, and his room was given away. So there was one room left, and he happened to arrive at the check-in desk with with another, another man he did not know. Well, the option was that they could share a room, and so he did. He shared a room with this other guy and slept great. I don't know if you would be able to do that. This same man also slept through a rat biting his finger. He had to wake up and figure out what happened and then go get tested for rabies. We have a son, too, that sleeps very deeply, and it's hard to wake him up in his deep sleep. But I do think this can factor in. I mean, we'd all love to sleep better, right? Amen? And I think knowing God's control and sovereign oversight of your life could affect your sleep, could affect the way in which you live. You know, this message could be to say that you should not get out of the boat. You should stay in the presence of Jesus. You know, the the disciples could have just aborted ship. They could have just jumped off, but they stayed there with him which sounds simple, but is not easy in times of hardship. So we need to go to God in prayer, having a childlike faith, seeking him to intervene in our lives. Now, faith also is found by seeing your Savior. We're going to share the Westminster Confession in a few minutes, and it says... Saving faith is you see or you rest upon him alone, that is Jesus, for salvation offered through the gospel. So this faith is found by seeing your Savior, by seeing Jesus for who he truly is, by seeing how he delivers your faith to you. And that brings us to the second big question, who is this man? Who is this Who then is this, they ask, that he even commands the winds and the water and they obey him? They are truly inquiring of this. Who can do this? And if you take that question at face value, they could have been wondering if he just was a great sailor, if he was able to maneuver the ship or know the weather well enough that he knew it was going to stop. Or they could have been thinking, okay, this is a higher power than we possess and are familiar with. He must possess a power strong enough to be able to control the winds and the water and they obey him. Well, this is pointing, obviously, at Jesus' nature, that he is God, that he is creator God, that he's able to control the weather Hebrews 1, 2 
and 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, much less the winds and the waves. How about the universe? And they're starting to tap into this. Who is this man? And then as Alex read for us, Peter, he begins to get it a little bit later on, right? Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. It takes him some time, but he's beginning to put it together. And then we see that Jesus, he is the creator of the church. He's going to build the church that will help to produce your salvation. And he's also the creator of your salvation. Because Jesus will enter a much bigger storm on your behalf, the storm of the cross and death, so that the elements of your death and sin would not wash over you, but would be calmed by Jesus' sacrifice and love for you. Do you have that type of faith? Do you know Jesus in that way? Do you know who he is and his true identity, the God of the universe? So there's much more that we could say about who this man is. And the disciples will see it as he goes on to teach and perform these miracles and to go upon the cross and die and then three days later be risen from the grave knowing that this is not a mere man, but this is a God-man. But these two questions are great questions to continue to ask yourself. Where is your faith? in each and every situation of life, but overall, where is your faith? Are you strong in your faith? Are you weak in your faith? What might be in the way of you growing in your faith? As we said, faith often grows slowly, consisting of many small decisions over a long period of time. We are walking with some friends who don't believe in this man, Jesus. They don't believe in the Bible. And yet we see some trials coming into their lives. And we are honestly asking, what, where will this lead them? Will this push them further away from God or will it bring them closer to God? And we are praying that it will bring them closer to God. Closer to asking the question, who is this man? Who is he to you? Who is he in relation to your fears? Perhaps you've created a God that is too small to chase away the fears in your life. It's also a good question to ask, though, who is Jesus to your neighbor? Do you ask that question? Who is he to your coworker? Are they even asking that question? And do you have a correct view of who he is? I think if we join these two questions together in our lives, where is your faith and who is this man? We are on a good track to believing in him. It's great questions to ask other people as well. Have you found him to be who the word of God claims him to be? The savior of this world. The upholder of the universe the builder of the church, the Christ, the Son of Man, the living God. Is that who you 
say he is. Pray that it is. Let us pray. God, we know you are the author of our faith. You're the author and perfecter of it. And so while we see in this passage that you have brought the disciples to a point of questioning, to a point of panic even, we know that we are held in your hand, that you have a plan for us and each one of our neighbors and coworkers. So God, we ask that you would give us a great faith, a faith in you and your son Jesus and all that he has done on this earth. And when we doubt and when we hit a storm in our lives, God, would you send reminders from your word, from other people who believe in you to hold us up, to carry us through so that one day we might be able to Share your good word with those who need it. God, be with us as we come to your table and as we uh, reflect on your death and resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.